Welcome to the Faith Driven Entrepreneur Podcast. If you're an entrepreneur driven by your faith or want to be driven by your faith, then you're in the right place. The best way to stay connected is to sign up for our monthly newsletter at faithdrivenentrepreneur.org. This podcast doesn't exist without you, our community. One of the things that the community has asked us for is helping connecting them with like-minded faith-driven investors. We're in the process of launching Marketplace, a new platform to present your venture and connect with like-minded investors that are serious about honoring God as you are. Everything from philanthropic to market rate deals, from here in the U.S. to emerging markets. Check it out at faithdriveninvestor.org forward slash marketplace. While you're there, please send us any thoughts you have about how this podcast might better serve you or any questions you might have about being a faith-driven entrepreneur. We had one of our graduates who was a 13-year-old girl who came with her mom every week, and she just set the pace for the class. It was awesome. She crushed it. And so that night, she was a guest speaker, and she said, you know, hey, uh, my goal for the end of Q2 is to sell 100 units. So one, just to hear a 13-year-old talk like that is awesome. And her product were these greeting cards and custom buttons that she made to connect her own generation, younger kids, to each other in communication that wasn't online. So really cool kind of idea. Well, hearing her story, this woman immediately stood up, this business leader in our community, and said, I want to buy your first 100 units tonight. And then another person stood up and said, I want to buy your second 100 units, you know? And now, like... Rocket fuel, right, for that young girl. Welcome back, everyone, to the Faith Driven Entrepreneur Podcast. Today's guest comes to us from Nashville, Tennessee. Will and Tiffany Acuff noticed that they were surrounded by talent all over their community. But these people were lacking a clear path to opportunity. Together, they co-founded Corner to Corner, where they created The Academy, which works to give underestimated entrepreneurs a very clear path to start their business journey. Will joined us today to share his personal entrepreneurial journey, as well as the success stories he gets to see and be a part of every day. Let's listen in. Henry? We're back at the Faith Driven Entrepreneur Podcast. Will Acuff with us online. Will, thank you for joining us. Thank you guys so much for having me. So eager to hear about your work that you're doing at Corner to Corner. As I told you before we got started, I've got a great friend of mine, a guy named Rusen, who's really one of my heroes might be too strong a word, but maybe we're going to go with it. He's just a great friend and just a faithful servant and getting out there and doing some incredible things for God's kingdom in India and doing it at scale. And he was telling me about this story about this really incredible entrepreneur and great story of somebody who really impressed him named Will Acuff. And he was so passionate about the work that you're doing and as you're loving on people, I'm like, we got to get this guy on. So here you are, grateful that you'd spend time with us. Before we get started much more about Corner to Corner, tell us a bit about your own personal story, some background, give us some framework and give us some context, please. Yeah. So born in Durham, North Carolina, but raised outside of Boston, ended up in the New England area when my dad went to seminary at Gordon-Conwell. And the plan was like Southerners go north for school and then head right back to the south. But my dad got caught up in the early days of the church planting movement and started a church uh, in 1985. Isn't the early days of the church planting movement like 2000 years ago? I mean, technically, yeah, but Paul didn't call it that. He didn't have a conference. Yeah, that's right. Um, he that's said, right. get together. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that church started in the office of a gas station in 1985. And I saw it just explode with growth and what I would describe as conversion growth. 
just people getting engaged with the gospel of grace for maybe the first time. So was raised with the sense that the gospel is lived out adventure. And around my senior year of college, I felt a call to go into ministry, but with no details. Like there wasn't like a manual that also, you know, dropped down from the sky, but I just knew I was supposed to be in some form of full-time ministry. So I went to college with that kind of idea in mind. Went to NC State down in Raleigh, North Carolina. Decided I was done with New England. Um, I've, I've not lived there since. It's fine to visit. I'd love to catch a Red Sox game sometime in the future when we can do mass gatherings again. But I uh, ended up back in the South. And at NC State, I fell in love with music and being in a band and started doing that, you know, touring around and all that kind of stuff. And was kind of on the path of doing my own thing. Like had started a band saying we were, you know, a band of Christians who were encouraging people and all that kind of stuff, but was really on a path towards building my own kingdom. And it was about my own ego and my own glory and probably would have been on that path for a much longer time if God and his mercy hadn't broken me of that. Mm. Um, And one of the ways that he did that was I got accepted to go on a trip to Nairobi, Kenya, led by an epidemiologist from the University of North Carolina. And his wife was a general practitioner. And for six months before this trip, we read things about economic disparity, global trade, how other countries' policies influence, you know, what's going on in sub-Saharan Africa, all these kind of really robust and complicated things. And then the trip itself was meant to be us coming as Christians to learn from our Christian brothers and sisters in what they were doing in response to the AIDS pandemic. So we weren't coming to build something. We didn't do, you know, quote unquote, anything while we were there other than sit at the feet of our brothers and sisters and learn what they were doing. Uh-huh. And it was the first time I'd been exposed to that level of poverty. And I would say it was the start of a journey of really getting a theology of suffering and a theology of loving your neighbor that was more robust than maybe I'd grown up with. Yeah. So every entrepreneur is involved in solving a problem or really leaning into an opportunity. So this is the beginning part of beginning to understand the context and the problem that you're called to solve, but you just didn't do it by yourself. This is one where, and it's one of the rare stories that we have on the program where you're called together with your wife, right? And this is something you both got involved in together. Tell us about the adventure of starting that together. Yeah. So we got married in 2004 and ended up in Nashville Uh, a little over 13 years ago. And when we landed here, we had tons of questions about what does it look like to love your neighbor as yourself, but didn't feel like we had a lot of really clear answers or guidelines. And so we moved into a low-income neighborhood on purpose. And my wife is, she is passionate, she is driven, and she is full of adventure. And so she was not intimidated by that at all. In fact, when we landed in that neighborhood, she wanted to go full-time into nonprofit work. So she got a job working behind bars at the men's prison as a former offender job training specialist with the Department of Corrections. Uh, And she started working with former offenders, right, you know, soon after we got here. Uh, And it was actually that experience that helped shape the early days of Corner to Corner, what we do now, because she was learning and being exposed to all the many different multi-layered ways that you know, the justice system works or doesn't work, right? The economic disparities involved, what people do when they transition, how vulnerable they are. And we saw people coming out of prison that ended up being our neighbors because we lived in this historically low-income neighborhood. And so our house became a place of sanctuary. And again, because my wife was leading the charge behind bars, 
you know, having uh, former gang members or whatever over to the house for dinner was no big deal. There was not a moment of like, should we or shouldn't we? She was already like off to the races. Wow. So yeah, definitely could not have done this if I was trying to persuade her, you know, to join me, but she was right there. Wow. Uh, Will, William here. And on another time, we'll have to figure out how you live with someone shortening your name. It's always been something that's really bothered me. Um, if you're a real William, but, uh, I am, I am a real William, but I prefer the short. I'm like, let's get this done. Let's keep moving. Oh man. It's just like Bill, Billy, call me anything, but just Will. It's just like, it's like people aren't even trying. It's just, it's just <laughs> half the name. You yeah, know, but what's the name of your son? Liam, but that's the cool part of the name. <laughs> That's that's a new part of the name. It didn't, I think you know, that Will. I think Willie Cuff has got it right. I think the beginning part is a cool part of the name. I think oh, he's got okay. it dialed in. Lord Jesus, don't let Liam listen to this one day. Uh, he's only two. He's only two. Will, tell us more. Dive deeper into corner to corner. Tell us exactly what you guys do, and especially what you do with your role there. Yeah. So we got started in 2011, really with the idea of how could we create a gospel-centered and relationship-driven nonprofit where the programming was excellent, but it was an opportunity for relationship, thinking that life transformation happens and is sustained in relationship and life-on-life opportunity. What we'd seen often in the nonprofit world was there was so much emphasis on the program that the relationship never continued after the programmatic piece was over. And so we kind of wanted to flip that on its head. And so we started in 2011 going alongside of a local rec center and just saying, hey, what could we do together right here in our neighborhood? And so our first program was teaching a redemptive storytelling class to former offenders so that they could get stable employment. And again, that was led by my wife. And we saw that first night go from five to 10 to 15 to 20 people in that first cohort. And many of those people are still in our lives today with deep, meaningful relationships. And I'll never forget the first time I walked into that rec center for a meeting, the assistant director was looking at her phone and I come in and said, hey, I'm here to meet with, you know, Lamario. And she wouldn't look up from her phone and she just pointed. And she would later tell me, yeah, like, here's another do-gooding white boy who'll be gone in a week. You know, like, I don't need this. But three months later, after the ministry of consistency had, you know, just showing up over and over again, her uh, grandson's hand-me-downs were our son's first clothes, you know, as we adopted for the first time. And she was asking my wife out to go with her and her girlfriends for drinks. And like relationships were starting to form. And so really organically with what I would call an empathy-driven approach rather than a pity-driven approach, we just started slowly but surely growing this thing as our own kind of, you know, entrepreneurial side hustle adventure as a family, funding it ourselves. And then it really took off when we saw that there was a gap for low-income entrepreneurs or what we might call underestimated starters where there weren't programs for people to plan, start, and then grow their own small business. And a lot of our former offender neighbors were able to get $9 an hour jobs in the Nashville economy, but they weren't able to get that living wage, which MIT had at $22.65 an hour at the time. And so we were trying to figure out what are different ways we can help these folks grow their own financial stability and then bring some of that wealth back to the neighborhood. And so we launched our own entrepreneurship program called the Academy in 2016. And that has scaled to seven locations around Nashville now. And it's become the largest producer of entrepreneurs in Middle Tennessee. And we're on our way by the end of this year to be the biggest in the state. And it has been a crazy fun and exciting adventure. Wow. That's amazing. Two things I want to pull out there that just 
jump out to me is what we hear in a lot of entrepreneur stories, but I'd say less and less in my own personal experience, there's more of this, I need this giant big vision before I get started. And what I heard from you, I would just want to highlight is just, you just started next door. You said, you know, what am I going to do right in front of me? You know, God's put a few things in front of me. I'm going to take the next step, and I'm going to take the next step, and then I'm going to take the next step. And I think that's so important for entrepreneurs to hear as they're starting something just to do what's next and, and to see where God can take it. And then secondly, I love that phrase, ministry of consistency. And that's just so huge. And I would say I've been one of those white do-gooders that had an idea and came in once, you know, just to be honest, right? I've been that person that showed up and, and wasn't consistent. And I know what that feels like. And so I thank you for showing up and continuing to pour in. And, and, and as you go deeper into Corner and Corner, I'd love to hear, you know, let our audience into the unique challenges that some of these entrepreneurs face that maybe others don't. But I always love how I still bet there's learnings in there for other entrepreneurs listening as well and how they're going to come alongside in, in these, especially these crazy times that we're in where you're going to have to innovate in new ways. Yeah. I mean, a big thing is a lot of our entrepreneurs don't have access to capital. And I don't just mean like they're going to do some crazy big couple million dollar round, but they don't even have friends and family rounds, right? Uh, because historically, the income gap is so huge, you know, for minority communities. And so one of the big emphasis of the program that we started with literally week one was start small so you can start now. And so an example of this is, you know, say you want to run a restaurant, you know, you want to launch a breakfast place. We had an early starter who said that they didn't have that $300,000 worth of capital, you know, to get that off the ground on day one. But instead, we said, all right, how do we break this down to the simplest piece? Is that catering? Is that a waffle stand? Like if the waffle is the centerpiece of your thing, let's literally go spend $200 worth of lumber at Home Depot and build you a stand that we just put up on this corner and see how clients respond to your food. Like let's do hands-on market research, you know? And so I think that's a big thing, especially, you know, in this COVID-19 moment is if you're not gonna start until you've got all the pieces right, or you're not gonna start until it can be the big thing, it's gonna be harder and harder for you to get moving. And so that's a big piece in one way that we overcome the challenges. And another thing is, you know, your network really, obviously all of us know that that's really important and vital, but we live in a time where income gaps or, you know, differences in socioeconomic background divide us. They divide us by neighborhood, they divide us by school, right? In so many different ways. And so you might have an awesome idea, but you don't know the people that could really help you to grow it, right? Put you in the right rooms. And so the way our program works is we bring in guest speakers who can expand their network every single week over the 10 weeks of the course. And we found that that seeds some beautiful relationships that wouldn't have happened otherwise. And that's really the, we got the name corner to corner from the idea of we want to make sure everyone is seeing that they have something to give and receive no matter what corner they're coming from, whether that's the CEO's corner office or the dealer's corner, which is his office, right? They both need to be a teacher and a learner. And we think that's biblical as well, right? Because we are broken and beautiful. We're made in the image of God and we're also rebels, right? We're also sinners who are the walking wounded, if you will. And so we don't want to present one group as having their life together, one group as not, but rather, you know, create channels for empathy and growth together. And take us one step further into that. How do you actually do that? I love that concept. And I feel like I've seen that too. It's sort of this, you know, are you engaging with, or are you empowering another group that 
trying to figure that out. How do you make everyone feel like they're working together? They bear the same image of God. They're on the same team. Walk us through that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, we do that in tons of different ways. A practical way within the academy is right away we started doing leadership training where we were training some of our graduates and other early stage minority starters to lead the program itself. So we didn't have, you know, oh, you sold a healthcare tech firm for 30 million, now come teach these folks who just need to learn where to get their business license, right? We instead had people on step 10 instead of a step 1,000 teaching the curriculum. And that one gave the right language and the most immediate because those people are still close enough to go, here are the steps, right? Follow this. And so that was one way where we created an atmosphere of all of us in this together. And then the other thing is we started things like mentorship programs where we addressed ideas of mansplaining, right? And what kind of baggage you might be bringing in with white privilege or not understanding the burdens that somebody else is carrying, right? And so our mentorship program in and of itself was not set up as a, I'm high up, let me teach you, right? So we do those kind of intentional cultural things where we're unpacking some of that. And then on a practical fundraising level, we have, for example, never done a banquet fundraiser because that has become a genre in the Christian fundraising world, right? And what I mean by that is like, we invite the donor to come in and bear the image of God and look shiny and new and have the resource, right? They bought the ticket or they sponsored the table. And at some point in the night, the story of poverty or brokenness is going to come up. And so we've actually taken the image of man that the Bible talks about, and we've broken it in half. One gets to bear the image of God, one gets to bear the image of brokenness. And so instead of doing that, we have free fundraising events where our whole community gets together, right? And then we design the flow of the room and where the food is and everything to force people to engage with each other in ways that they might not otherwise have been. And then we never position anybody as the victim. Rather, we amplify the good. We have a strong emphasis that if we are all image bearers of God, then we all already have passion, creativity, and drive. So as a nonprofit, our job is to build bridges of opportunity for that to be expressed, we don't have to give that to anybody. Hmm, that's good. That's good. And go a little bit into the community approach. So obviously what I haven't heard you talk about yet is ROI and return on investment. And while I'm sure you're focused on that, at some level, it seems like you're a little bit more focused on uh, the relationship and the community in which God has placed you. And could you walk through how the organization at Corner to Corner thinks through those various variables uh, in sort of creating a sustainable nonprofit? No, that's great. So we do have good data. Part of my own life, I run a side hustle of agile consulting for doctors, you know, how they can use agile methodologies and principles for their research. And because I have those relationships early on, we brought some behavioral scientists from Vanderbilt University to the table, told them what we were doing, and they started designing custom pre and post class surveys for us. So we could measure two key things. The first was, are people actually learning, right? So prior to starting a class, could you tell us what legal entity type you should be and how to file for that, you know? And on the end of class, can you answer that now? And then the other piece of data we were trying to get at was social determinants of health, right? If we are increasing confidence about your financial future and giving you a better understanding of how your skills can be used in the marketplace, we're actually changing the overall global health picture of our community. And so we started doing data measurement on both of those and seven of our eight measurement points have shown statistically significant improvement. So that's one big area. The other is we do a once a year annual survey, getting at least 50% of our graduates to see where they are in the life cycle of their business. 
And as of the last one, 72% of our graduates are actively making money on their business, which again is in line with the SBA numbers. You know, the SBA says that roughly 73% of small businesses will still be in business in five years if they are part of a mentorship program, right? If they have people walking alongside of them. So that's another thing we measure. And then we pair our graduation numbers with the SBA data, the annual report card that comes out. Specifically, we pair it with their lowest possible number. So what I mean by that is there's two big data points there. What a side hustle or a solopreneur will make in a given year. That number was 23,000 last go round. And then what you'll make if you become a registered LLC or a C Corp, and that number hits around 52,000 annual. And so we pair our graduates with that lowest possible number. So, you know, 211 graduates ends up roughly $5 million of money earned and coming back into the community. So that's kind of the data we measure. That's awesome. Can you take us through a couple of the stories, the success stories that you've had? Yeah. So one of my favorites, when I really, you don't know if you have something and every entrepreneur knows this, you don't know if you have something until you do it, you know, until you see that moment where it sparks. And at our first graduation for the Academy and our first one had 40 people, our last one, which unfortunately had to be virtual, but we had 6,000 Facebook views on our last graduation. So really encouraging growth there. But in that first 40 person one, we had one of our graduates who was a 13 year old girl who came with her mom every week and she just set the pace for the class. It was awesome. She crushed it. And so that night she was a guest speaker and she said, you know, Hey, uh, my goal for the end of Q2 is to sell a hundred units. So one, just to hear a 13-year-old talk like that is awesome. And her product were these greeting cards and custom buttons that she made to connect her own generation, younger kids, to each other in communication that wasn't online. So really cool kind of idea. Well, hearing her story, this woman immediately stood up, this business leader in our community, and said, I want to buy your first 100 units tonight. And then another person stood up and said, I want to buy your second 100 units, you know? And now, like rocket fuel, right? For that young girl. Another cool story, again, with the start small, start now, we had one of our graduates for that first cohort, he wanted to launch his own restaurant and he wanted it to bridge kind of soul food and modern kind of hipster aesthetics, right? And vibes, but he didn't have the money to start right then. And so he launched a catering business and he grew it month in, month out, learned about the numbers, learned how to keep his costs down, right? Worked on the business and his brick and mortar launched last year here in Nashville. And I reached out to him in the midst of COVID-19. I said, man, do you need a bridge loan? Do you need help right now? And he's like, honestly, I'm good. And so super encouraging to hear that kind of our philosophy of like lean and low overhead and all that stuff has really helped people to navigate this moment. Yeah, yeah that's so there's cool. a couple of the stories. That's very cool. I'm imagining those community buttons for that generation talking to each other. I'm trying to imagine what's on them. It's probably nothing that I would understand. Yeah, yeah. It's probably a bunch of like emojis and yeah, right. words without vowels. Yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I'll take a hundred of those. I don't know what that means. but Yeah. One other story I'll share. And, you know, again, we don't try to get into any kind of pity vibes, but this one graduate has asked me over and over and over again to make sure I share his story. Like he's gone above and beyond to make sure this gets out. But this was a guy who wanted to launch his own cleaning company, you know, both residential and industrial. And at the time was living in his car. And within two years of graduation, he had five vans and his own office space and he was sharing it with other academy graduates, 
That's actually our most popular, I think, YouTube video we ever did where I did a little tour of his office. Um, So that's one of them where it's just the difference between trying to say like, hey, I want to do good to you, right? Like, and here are the terms. This is what it means versus this, which is you have an idea you're excited about. And all I'm going to do is put a little more wind in your sails, right? And then get out of the way. That's the difference here. Is there a common factor that you can identify for the graduates of the academy that go on to become successful? Yeah, it's usually the ones that are really flexible and willing to be fluid. Like the ones who say this is the thing and it has to look exactly like this and go like this. They usually don't do well, but they usually honestly don't even graduate because we have week after week, we have a customer count contest. And so we actually keep track of that at class with like emoji stickers. And then the winner gets custom business cards. And they have to go out and determine like, do I have the right flavors? Is this the right pricing model? Do people even care about this product? And usually they wash out about week five or week six. But yeah, I'd say the common characteristic for the ones who are successful are the ones who are willing to be flexible and the ones who realize that it takes 10 years for an overnight success. That tends to be, they have the sustaining power. Yeah, it's been interesting. A lot of our guests as we've been going through this COVID-19 time that idea of flexibility, agility, being able to pivot quickly, you know, has been the difference between um, survival in some cases, right? Not only success, but also survival. You know, our audience are faith-driven entrepreneurs. Not everybody's gotten a chance to go through something like the academy or some incubator. What would you like to leave our audience with, our listeners, that they might learn something that you can carry over from the academy to them? Yeah, I mean, at first, just from a faith perspective, echo, you know, what theologians have said for thousands of years, the journey of faith is knowing yourself and knowing God better, right? And if you start a business, you've just decided to fast forward that process, right? And that you should pay attention to how you're feeling, what are your stressors, all those things, go deep on that, bring that to the Lord. So from a faith perspective, I'd encourage you on that. The other thing from, you know, an academy perspective, I'm a really big believer in like a simple, what I might call an agile approach to your own business and using a tool like Trello. This is something we cover in the class to set up a to-do doing done every single week and realizing how many hours you actually have to get, you know, functional work done and doing a review every single Friday. What did I get done? What didn't I get done and why? And kind of cultivating that practice so you can understand your own velocity better. And so you can show movement and encouragement to yourself every single week. That's a great point. And I think we're seeing that in the marketplace, right? We're seeing the growth of things like, you know, now there's Clubhouse and there's Monday.com and there's Workboard and all of these different productivity tools that are holding ourselves accountable in a time when we don't have the coworkers sitting next to us. That's definitely a great lesson for all of us to take away. Yeah. And we need the endorphin hit, you know, we need to write it down and then mark it done. Well, I want to ask you one last question. I'm intrigued by this, this partnership that you have with your wife. And we mentioned a little bit at the beginning, but there's something really special about uh, being able to process all that's around you with your best friend and your wife. And that must come with just a lot of joy and a lot of shared purpose and mission. But it's frustrating being an entrepreneur. There are days that are just really difficult. There are days you're like, am I doing the right thing? Am I going about the right way? And there's a lot of stress that an entrepreneur has. Compound that by having that stress and being unsure of your capability and then those that you work around. And that person is a person you go to church with every Sunday that you're raising kids with. 
How do you deal with that type of real stress in your relationship? Yeah, well, it's funny. I would say um, for years, we just basically let each other lead in our own lanes, so to speak, right? As we got it going as our own kind of side hustle, it wasn't until we said, all right, we're going to quit all of our other jobs, right? And this is going to be our full-time income that the stress level of it and the decision-making process had to get more intentional and then when to turn those dialogues off got more intentional. Mm. And we were working on all of that when we have two kids and both through um, domestic adoption and our oldest son has severe autism amongst other challenges. And when he was diagnosed, that completely revamped how we communicate and how we work with each other. Um, and, and for the first time, I would describe us as having to embrace the gift of limitations, you know, the, the Pete Scazzaro emotionally healthy spirituality language there and go, okay, if we wanted this thing to be 10x, now we have to be trusting in the Lord that it's going to be 2x, right? Because of all that we have to give to our son. Yeah. And we're going to have to be really clear about the challenges of that and the sorrows and the ups and downs and really practice not letting all this bleed on top of each other. And then I would also say another big place, and this might be applicable to other entrepreneurs, if you're doing something with a spouse or with a family member, your passions will change. There will be a different part of the business that you want to lean into, right? And letting someone explore their creativity and their passions within that and not kind of boxing them into the thing they maybe did on day one, I think is really important. And for us, What that's looked like is my wife is really passionate about racial justice and equity. And so she launched a part of Corner to Corner that's kind of our version of volunteer training called Coalition that she completely runs from top to bottom. I just, you know, give her high fives. That is all about what does it mean to be an ally and not to be kind of a white savior or to try to, you know, how do you reposition yourself? And then as Christians, how do we understand the racial history of the church and move differently in these modern times? But that wasn't on the plate on day one, that she's grown into that. And so letting her have the space to do that and then fitting it into our volunteer training and still making sure it made sense for the long-term growth of Corner to Corner, that's all been you know, through lots and lots of really good dialogue and prayer with each other. So far to summarize, I heard you say that you've got lanes and that you know she's found something that she's really passionate about. You've been an encouragement. You've been high-fiving her, but you've not kind of drilling down on, honey, what are your KPIs, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're both Enneagram eights, right? And so if you know anything about the Enneagram, that means we're both in the fighter role, right? So we could be, we could easily get into a mode where we litigate everything, right? Like you got that kind of coffee. Hmm, Interesting. What were your top three reasons for that choice? Like we could fall into that. And so being able to go, you know what? I might have an opinion on this, but in the grand scheme of things, do I trust my wife? Do I trust the Lord is at work with my life? You know, or as one of my friends put it, um, thank God the Holy Spirit still speaks. And 80% of the time, it sounds like my wife. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I like that. That's very good. And do you trust your wife with something as important as coffee? I don't, I don't know that I'm there. But I think that's great that you are. That's great, Will. As we unfortunately move to a close here, one, I want to know the name of the restaurant because many people have described me as soul food with a modern hipster vibe. Okay. So I feel like I need to get to this restaurant. Yeah, come to uh, Nashville. We've got some great stuff going on here. Okay, that's one. That may be a self-description. That may yeah, not be on other people. <laughs> what do you mean by a lot of people? Yeah, uh, you know, we're not going to get into data. You know, <laughs> that's not not what we do on the show. 
Uh, I didn't think Liam could talk yet. (laughs) He's got enough words to encourage his father. That's all we need. That's all we need. Um, Second, I I just want to highlight one of the things I love in your story. I don't even remember. I I know a mentor told me this a long time ago when I was going through a potential job change. And I remember him telling me, you know, the most likely place God wants you is exactly where he has you. And that's, of course, not true for everyone and a lot of our entrepreneur audience. I mean, that's what they take a risk. They jump out. But to really discern that, and I just love what Corner to Corner does, which is that, you know, let's just start where God has us. You know, we have an idea and let's just move. And what you instill in your graduates, start small, start now. Just go right where you are. And so I appreciate that. And uh, as our listeners know, when we do come to an end, you usually typically get a bad joke from me. And then we move to seeing what God has been telling you through his word. And we'd love to see how our listeners connect to our guests. It's just amazing what God does through these moments. Uh, It's amazing how many times we hear from guests. Oh, gosh, I really needed to hear that verse right now. So if you wouldn't mind sharing uh, a verse that God may be taking you through right now, uh, could be this morning, could be this week, could be a season that you've been in for a long time where you've really been meditating on a piece of scripture. Just walk us through that if you would. Thank you. Yeah, that's great. So I've been spending a lot of time in the Psalms of Ascent like 120 to 135, I think, something like that. I did go to seminary, so I should technically know the answer to that. But Psalm 124 starts with, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. That for me has been reminding me in this season of, wait a minute, things aren't like I thought they would be, right? I'm getting hit from the left and to the right. To remember to stop and recount the wonderful deeds of the Lord. To remember you know, again, we talk about that command is throughout the Bible. Remember, remember, remember. But sometimes I treat God like a salesman, right? Like I'm like, God, what are your numbers? What did you do last quarter? You know, what are you doing right this second for me? And so sitting in Psalm 124 and just meditating on what has the Lord recount his wonderful ways. So that's been really encouraging to me. Amen. Amen. Oh, wow. That's great to think about just stopping to meditate on that. Well, thank you so much for what you're doing in Nashville. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day from serving entrepreneurs to come spend some time with us and our audience. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for having me. If anybody wants to follow along on the journey, check us out on Instagram, Corner to Corner. We are very active on the socials. As we finish each episode, we like to spotlight a partner that locks arms with faith-driven entrepreneurs. Can't think of anybody better to spotlight this week than our friends Dave Blanchard and the team that lead Praxis. They're a creative engine for redemptive entrepreneurship, supporting founders, funders, and innovators, motivated by their faith to renew culture and love their neighbors. Their community of practice operates through high-touch programs, robust content, and a global portfolio of redemptive businesses and nonprofit ventures. We'd encourage you to check them out and also the list of top 20 accelerators and capacity builders for faith-driven entrepreneurs to see how you can be engaged. Thanks so much for joining us on today's show. We hope you enjoyed it. We are very grateful for the opportunity to serve you, the larger faith-driven entrepreneur community, and we want to stay connected. The best way for you to do that is to sign up for our monthly newsletter at faithdrivenentrepreneur.org. And while you're there, we want to hear from you. We derive great joy from interacting with many of you. And it's been very rewarding to see people come to the site and listen to the podcast now from more than over 100 countries. But it's even more important to us that you feel like this is your show and that you'll help make it something that best equips you on your entrepreneurial journey, one that you're proud of and one that you're going to share with others. 
Hey, this podcast wouldn't be possible without the help from many of our friends, executive producer Justin Foreman and program director Johnny Wills. Music is by Carl Kegwell. You can see and hear more of his work at summerdregs.com. Audio and editing by Richard Barley of Cornerstone Church in San Francisco. Mm-hmm.